Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Ocean Protect Podcast talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Ollie Pitt, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. To be honest, we're really privileged to have you here. Obviously, Australian Seabird Rescue, which you are the general manager of, is an amazing organisation. You guys do such good work. And Jeremy and myself know firsthand because we visited your wonderful facility Oh, back in June 2019. Well, a couple of years ago. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was a while ago now, hey? Yeah, and you weren't you weren't part of the team then, I'm guessing, were you? I was. I was. I was, I was the, yeah, I was the assistant to the general manager then, and oh. I think you were wandering around the property with Kat. That's right. You know, yeah. I was floating around somewhere. I was just kind of hiding in the background. We're not that noticeable, really, to be honest. We don't really make too much yeah, noise. Yeah, it was a bit like that. It was kind of just like, oh, who are these guys coming in here? Uh, in and out, gone. Not joking. We were both super impressed. I don't know about you, Jeremy, but I remember just talking to Kath and, like, it's obviously a, it's a, a passion project for so many people there. you got obviously Kath there and obviously yourself and a heap of volunteers and you, you literally just do such amazing work. The very limited resources, I'm guessing, as well, and, I know Ocean Protect were very proud to chip in some cash a couple of years ago, I think now. You did. And we used that money, actually, and we brought a brand new boat to help us go out and monitor the Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, and I cannot thank you enough because that boat is my favorite toy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we get to go out on the river, see what the, these pelicans are up to, making sure they're all good, especially when we do release a pelican as well. We like to know that they're really fitting back in okay. And likewise, just even today, we had a pelican that we released a couple of weeks ago and had to go catch him again because he's already got another hook in him. And as be said, I saw the footage of this capture. That was you in the video, Ollie, I'm guessing? It was. And you know what? I really wasn't expecting to go down and catch pelicans uh, today. Yeah. So I really wasn't in the right kind of get up. I had like my fancy sunnies on and I was like, oh, I'll just go down and take a look at him and see where he is, see if he's all right. And then he was close enough for a capture and he was coming in. I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to have to go down and get him. And it has to be said, you are a marine biologist ninja. Like the way you were able to obviously very uh, carefully and swiftly and, you know, without doing any harm to the pelican, I should point out. But the way you were able to capture that pelican, I honestly could not believe what I was seeing. You literally put your hand out and he seemed to just chomp on your hand and you seemed to just be able to grab him. 
Yeah, so that is actually called our beat grab method and uh, <laughs> we're quite creative when it comes to the name. Yeah. <laughs> Literally grab it by the beak. Yeah. So it really only works when you've got a pelican that's quite used to humans, been hanging around like fish stations and in this case this is a juvenile and he has been hanging around wharves. This is the third time he's actually needed rescuing, which is pretty sad. It's sad for us to know that when we release them, you know, that's not the end. They could get into trouble again. Anyway, so yeah, I went down and for a beat grab, you just, you just got to go in confident. I never used to be like this, funnily enough. When I very first started volunteering with ASR, I was like, pelicans, oh my God, these things are huge. They're intimidating. After a while, you just learn that they're just a whole bunch of feathers. That's it. And when they bite you, they really can't hurt you. So yeah, just hold out a piece of fish and hopefully they bite your hand and you can grab them. The number one thing, and in this case as well, was just making sure no matter what we did, given the location, if I were to go in the water, was I going to be safe? And likewise, if I was to go in the water, was the pelican going to be safe? But in this case, it was actually just a catch and release. Just picked him up, got the hook out, and it was very superficial, thank goodness. We just released him in a different location where no one was fishing at the time. So we've gone very quickly on this one. We've gone straight to... Straight to Pelican Ninja. (laughs) Let's take Pelican Ninja all the way back. Well, let's learn about Ollie. How have you become general manager? And, uh, you know, let's give us your backstory. Yeah, sure. So I started volunteering with Australian Seabird Rescue way back in end of 2013, start of 2014, while I was still studying marine biology at Southern Cross University. Going back even further, like when I was in high school and stuff, I wasn't like an overachiever and I do try and get this message out quite a lot as well. I wasn't an overachiever. I just got through high school for the sake of going to high school because there was nothing else for me to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't go back to uni until I was 21. I love telling that story because I wanted to inspire other kids out there that go into the schooling system and they're led into almost like a herding a sheep world thought to be one way but not another so when I went back I discovered my passion and my passion grew the more I studied so no intention of working with pelicans that's for sure I'll say that right now (laughs) (laughs) but I did have a love for sharks and that's kind of what sparked that passion and I knew the effects that were going on with sharks and look I'm a sucker for a monster movie I know they're bad but (laughs) I love yours (laughs) if you think that there's a killer shark out there like that you don't deserve to go in the ocean so (laughs) Uh, you can stay out of it that's cool no so and then yeah so got into uni started volunteering that was didn't even know about Australian Seabird Rescue my now assistant Kelsey actually told me about it and we rocked up one day and walked in and they they were like oh look you're going to start volunteering, but don't get attached because you never know what can happen mm, in the mm. hospital. And we walk in and there's this massive big tank and there is a 70-kilo green sea turtle in that tank named Ace Ventura. And <laughs> I was done. I was like, okay, I'm not attached. It's fine. And that's kind of where that sparked. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is me. Like I know that I want to work with sea animals. Once I started to, to meet the people at, at ASR and learn about ASR's story and how it became what it is and why it's so necessary to have rehab centres, it just hooked me and I couldn't get enough of the place and it's addictive. And then I got through uni just on and off volunteering, you know, went travelling and 
there was an assistant role coming up and it was the first role that had come up for Seabird Rescue in a long time. Kath was the manager. Mm. And just a couple of days before my interview, actually, I called her and I said, I'm not doing it. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I just thought that I wanted to pursue science and do my honours and I didn't think there was room for both. And Mm. I got convinced otherwise. I was like, look, this is really good practice. Just come in for the interview and have a go. I was like, sure, Mm. great. Mm. Sounds Mm. sounds good. Obviously got the job and I was an idiot for thinking I was (laughs) not going to apply. Yeah, so I worked under Kath for two years and then Kath decided she wants to, she just wants to up and move to North Queensland. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rude of her. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was kind of like a succession plan in a way, anyway. So just to lead up into that role. And yeah, that's kind of my little, my little journey there. Wow. Wow. So if we should actually clarify, what does Australian Seabird Rescue do? So what we do is we've got three different branches along the east coast of New South Wales, so north coast, a central coast and a south coast branch, and we rescue and rehabilitate seabirds, shorebirds, sea turtles and sea snakes as well. Those that can be released, we don't keep any animal longer than it needs to. They all get released back out into the wild if they make it through rehab. We've obviously been to the, your Ballina facility. Is that the, mm-hmm. the main headquarters? You have other branches with other similar sort of setups as well? Uh, I wouldn't say similar. So it works a little bit differently among the branches. So we've got the big facility with the Ballina Byron Sea Turtle Hospital, the, the massive yeah. Avery and the Education Centre, and that is the main yeah. hub. And then we've got our other branches on the Central Coast. They've only just started rehabbing sea turtles in the past year, year and a half. It kind of works in a bit more of like a similar to wires where they work out of backyards and have small setups for specialised animals. And likewise on the south coast, they mainly do seabirds down there with the very rare occasion of a sea turtle that will wash up. And for people who haven't been to your Ballina facility, like what have you got there at the moment? It's been Disney. One of the biggest things we've seen over the last few years is the increase in sea turtles and it's dramatic. So it's gone from about anywhere between 10 to 20 a year to 70 to 80 a year. Yeah. Wow. And that's just out of our balance. So we've got a whole bunch of tanks. Obviously, we need to keep the turtles happy. We've got a massive pre-release tank. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, eight, nine, ten. Ten other tanks. T- Eleven. Sorry. <laughs> we're, we're kind of building as we go as well because we've had to accommodate four turtles. And then at the moment, for when they first initially come in, we pop them into shell pools where it's nice and very shallow oh. water. We can monitor them quite closely. But, yeah, and then out the back, behind that education hallway in the back of the property, you guys might have remembered, that's where we've got our Avery. So it's yep. away from everybody, yeah. super quiet. We also have an intensive care bird room for our pelicans and any other bird that um, when they first come into care, it's really dark, quiet, there's nothing in there, and it's temperature controlled as well. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. and the big education hall. <laughs> so the increase in the amount of turtles coming in, what are you putting that down to? It's really hard to say. I really don't put it down to one thing. It has to be climate shifts. To see it happening at this rate, I don't know what else it could be. So we've also got our side project, which is New South Wales Turtle Watch in collaboration with the Saving Our Species Project with National Parks. And that is monitoring sea turtle nests in New South Wales because that is going to be an indication into population growth in our state. So what we're thinking is that with climate shifts, as everything is warming up and 
obviously our animals are going to follow that as well. So our sea turtles are going to start seeking refuge in New South Wales waters where they can, when they, they can accommodate those nests better. So to explain oh. about nesting, if you're not familiar with sea turtle nests, mama turtle will come up onto the beach, she'll dig a big kind of hole in the sand with her back flippers and she'll lay anywhere between 100 to 120 eggs sometimes. Cover them back up, goes back to the ocean, doesn't worry about it again. Off she goes, never sees a baby skin. But she's really caring with that nest. She makes sure it's perfect. And the sex of the the sex determination of sea turtles is determined by the temperature of the nest. So we have a saying, hot chicks and cool dudes. So the hottest <laughs> temperatures. Yeah. You can carry that over into the human world if you want that. <laughs> so we're starting to see over feminization. So everything's heating up, including sand temperatures. So we're gonna get too many females and not enough males. So is this shift coming further south? With sea turtle nesting, are they going to start seeking refuge in cooler beaches? Well, we don't know, but this is what we're starting to look at, and it's pretty cool stuff. But in terms of stranding, so the animals that are coming into care in these emaciated conditions, look, where there's so much, there is food depletion. Obviously, there's plastic ingestion. That's never going to go away. We've got ocean acidification. How is that playing a role on them? We've got a huge parasite load. So as we know, with warming ocean temperatures, we're going to start probably start seeing higher loads of parasites because they flourish in warmer waters. So, hey, what is an after a sea turtle? <laughs> so the turtles, the turtles that are coming in, is there a mm. specific injury or ailment? A while ago, like when I first started at ASR, I just thought it was plastic. I was just like, yeah, plastic, that's the thing that's affecting them the most. Now, yes, still a major issue. That's not the only issue anymore. A huge parasite loads. So we're seeing them in these emaciated conditions. Now, I'm not sure if the parasite loads are, now I'm talking internal parasites, a secondary condition to something else. It's really hard to say. It's not just the one thing anymore. There's so many different things. And I think where this Ocean Warriors Australia thing has come about, which we can talk more about at some stage, but it's really trying to bridge the gap between rehab and research. And I think that's Mm. so important because even though these animals are coming into the States, we don't have all the answers yet. They're coming in with a story, aren't they? You've got to find that story and you're like a little detective. Yeah, yeah. But when a turtle comes into care, they're... They typically have a lot of the same symptoms. So sea turtles get something very common called floating syndrome, Mm. and that's a gas buildup in the cavity. You guys would have probably seen that and came in. And they can't dive down for their food. They get very, very susceptible to uh, predators because they're floating on the surface like a cork. They get sunburn, and they also get high barnacle loads as well. So Turtles get sunburn. I never knew that. Turtles get sunburn. Yeah, I knew about them floating, but I didn't think turtles would be susceptible to the sun and get burnt. Yes. That's why we do a podcast. Don't say I never never teach or something. No, thank you. (laughs) I remember uh, Dr. Kathy Townsend from University Sunshine Coast was telling us about, and this has really sort of, I guess, shocked me, like the fact that these turtles are just so hardy. They can be very, very sick and poorly, but they'll still live. So when they're floating on the surface, potentially covered in barnacles and sunburn and having all these sorts of internal issues, they'll still live, yeah, Yeah. and they'll just struggle on. And and if they die, they'll die just a very long and slow and gruesome death. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Kathy Townsend is a superhero. She is such a legend and I follow her work constantly. I think she does some of the most amazing stuff. 
But yeah, she's 100% correct. These guys are born survivors. So they are so resilient to so much, but they also do die. So they die a very slow and what I imagine would be a painful death. We know this through doing postmortems on them. And typically, I don't know how to explain this. Look, I'm not a vet, so it's really hard to me, for me to explain veterinary terms, but they're basically dead before they're dead. Oh, so everything is shutting down. And from the inside out, even things like their organs are shutting down. You can see it when you open them up after they've died, but they're still going. Their heart's still beating yeah. and they're still going and they're still there, but um, it's taken this long to die. And that can be caused from plastic. It can be caused from starvation. And it's, yeah, it's, it can be quite horrible. Um, and it's horrible to see. But look, in rehab and what we do, the good outweighs the bad, for sure. Mm. We can get them better. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, and you do have a, 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 very, a fairly seemingly very high success rate. Like if you do come across a turtle, it's lucky to be picked up by you guys, isn't it? And I guess yeah. it gets some pretty sweet care and hopefully an ultimate release. Yeah, so that is the aim of the game is to get them back out there. So from start to finish, a sea turtle rehab kind of looks like it washes up on the beach. It's pretty rare that we go out and um, actively rescue them from the ocean. We will if we need to, but... Typically, it's strandings, and a member of the public will call us up and we'll go down, pick it up. We'll explain over the phone what to do in the meantime, which isn't a lot, just mainly keeping people back. Do not put it back in the water. That is number one. Don't put it back in the water. And then, yeah, pick it up, bring it in. The first 48 hours are typically in fresh water, fresh water bath, and that is going to kill off any of the epibiota that may be still alive on the outside. Epibiota is like your algae, your barnacles, anything alive on the outside. From there, they will typically go see our vets over at Byron Bay Wildlife Hospital. We'll get an assessment and come up with a treatment plan. And from there, look, a lot of turtles, they just need time away mm. from those elements. So no predators. We work on them diving so we can get rid of their floating syndrome. They do need hydration. We will hydrate them. But as soon as they're eating, they're getting that hydration as well monitoring if they are passing through um, that food and it's coming out the other end. That's what we want to see, everything working. And then if they do need medications, we do that. And, yeah, it usually takes about three to four months to rehab a turtle successfully. They must feel pretty good after that first two-day bath. Like It's like, it's like yeah. having a bath your whole life and then having one, you must feel a million dollars, really. Oh, they must be like, oh, my gosh, everything stopped itching for a second. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Barnacles on a sea turtle are normal. 
that's part of sea yeah. life. However, the way that they get rid of it when they're out in the ocean, when they're not suffering from a stressor that's caused floating syndrome, is they'll dive down to cleaning stations where the fish will actually come and clean them for them. But when mm-hmm. they're not able to dive, they're not able to get rid of that every biota. So it, yeah. it, it pretty much engulfs them. It becomes like concrete and suffocates mm. them from the outside in. And when we do this freshwater bath as well, you know, these animals are ectothermic or where they rely on the outside of what's going on in the outside to hydrate them on the inside mm. sometimes. So that freshwater really helps that process too. And obviously when they're floating, they're more susceptible to boat strike as well. Like I've seen yeah. footage of some of your turtles who have had obviously been hit by a propeller, et cetera. And it, yeah. too, is it knocks them around, doesn't it? Oh, boat strikes, that's probably one of the hardest things to see. A lot of times if the damage is too far gone, you know, euthanasia is the kindest thing yeah. that we can do. However, we have had two lately. We've got one turtle in care at the moment called Lover and she's got a boat strike and thankfully, you know, it's quite deep as well, but thankfully I don't know how, but it hasn't caused her any extra damage. Like her back flippers are still working. She's okay. She's just needing that time to for that to kind of heal over properly. So you may have seen one on our socials, one called Apple, massive, massive green sea turtle. And she was rescued at Hastings Point and she had a big boat strike in the middle. She was 90 centimetres CCL for turtle nerds out there. However, (laughs) if we're talking like a total length, you're looking a bit over a metre. Yeah, 75 kilos. So she's a bit underweight as well. And she had a massive boat strike in the middle of her carapace, which is the shell, and then a big crack down one side and then a few other cracks up the top of the carapace to indicate that it definitely was a boat and a propeller because when we see those, you know, that dunk, 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 dunk. <laughs> I'm, I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's on a ticket channel. I know what you mean. Dunk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dunk, 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 dunk. <laughs> um, We're fine. We've got sorry. Yeah. <laughs> She got actually sent up to SeaWorld because they have a bit more resources to house her in bigger tanks and x-ray machine on site, which will be beneficial for her. And so far I've heard she's going okay. Oh, that's great news. Yeah, wow. But we went down to see Dr. Dwan March and mm-hmm. Port Macquarie, I think it was. Kosaba? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if my memory serves me correctly, my memory's shot. They had a turtle in there that I think he's lost his front flipper. So, I mean, obviously I think he's survived, but is that, is that often the case? And is it actually just getting the shell or does it actually like getting them the actual skin part? I'm just trying to imagine the propeller on a hard shell. Does it actually yeah. get through the shell? It can. It's not as hard. Like it is a hard shell. We just have to remember it's just made of keratin. So it's not, it's probably not as hard as you like think. Like fingernails. fingernails. Yeah, like fingernails. It's thick and it's still a shell. It's still hard, but for a very large propeller, it's going to cut straight through. When they're missing a limb, we can still release them. Like we've spoken about, they are born survivors. And we recently actually had a turtle that underwent amputation with Byron Bay Wildlife Hospital. And this turtle is remarkable. She went through everything. Her name was Rainbow. And she had the most amount of plastic, the most I have ever seen in a sea turtle, and it was all plastic bags. And this is only mm. the So we haven't had plastic bags in our area for how many years? And it's still out yeah. there affecting these guys. I'm talking mm. a one-litre jar full, compressed in. Oh, jeez. turtle. She's passing that through or are you... Are you- 
caffeine. No, she passed all of it. Wow. Yeah, so thankfully oh. we were able to feed her some really oily substances like uh, like pilchards and stuff, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that was able to pass that through. Wow. But she had had a shark encounter, and that's normal. That's fine. Fish, you know, fish got to swim, birds got to eat type scenario. However, if she was impacted with floating syndrome or had slowed down due to this plastic ingestion, that's not fair game. No. So she doesn't have that chance to be able to escape. And so she's had the shark encounter, she's had the belly full of plastic, and then she's got a fractured back flipper that will not heal, like it's open. So she had to have that flipper amputated. And a lot of the questions we get asked are, but how can they survive? How on earth mm. can they survive? And it all comes down to will they be able to nest if she's a girl because they use their back flippers for digging. Mm. But I went to Monrepo. I watched personally with my own eyes a loggerhead sea turtle come up, lay her eggs, and she was taking so damn long. And we're like, what's going on? She successfully dug a nest. She laid her eggs. She covered it back up, and she had one flipper. And I'm like, okay, we're fine. Debunked. Wow. That is amazing. Wow, because I've, yeah, I've seen footage of, I mean, two flippers and doing the nest is, seems like a pretty arduous sort of task, let alone one. So their will to survive but also their will to reproduce must be pretty high. Let's go back to the plastic bit because, look, we know plastic's everywhere. But, but your comment, plastic bags have been banned for how long in Queensland? That's only a new thing, isn't it? The uh, shopping centres, sorry, I should say, like your yeah, worst Yeah, sh- shopping centres, shopping centres. So it would be really interesting to know where she came from. We should get this information to Brad because it would be interesting to know where this plastic is coming from, as you say, if, if there's that much. Lennox head. Local. So, but is this turtle is this turtle staying locally for most of its life, or is it do the big trip around the planet like a lot of these turtles? She will leave. We released her out at Julian Rocks at Byron Bay, and she hung around for a couple of months. And people were reporting her to us. It was so lovely. But she hasn't been sighted, so I guess she's gone off and start making her way. And so, to see total life cycle, they start out on the beach, and then they, you know, they get their seventy-two hour frenzy when they look like a little wind-up toy, and all they can think is swim, 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 swim. <laughs> it's pretty cute. It's pretty cute when you see hundreds of them. <laughs> oh and my goodness! Good. And- don't, don't they go out to get try and get the currents? They're all basically going, yes. we've got to swim for 72 hours. We're just going to do it, swim, don't stop. And then they go, right, we're in the currents and we're off. Yeah, basically. So they just got to get out to, you know, like on Nemo, the EAC. Hopefully they find a piece, a piece of like floating debris and that's where they'll seek refuge for what we don't really know, um, maybe the first two, maybe three years of their life, and then they come back inshore to the rich feeding grounds, for instance, the beautiful Byron Bay. It's a marine park, so there's heaps of food. It's probably why there's so many turtles there. And then they'll spend the next part of their life inshore like that before heading back offshore and making their way back up north to do their nesting and mating. The plastic bags could have been ingested yeah. anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. Really. Anyway, it's really hard yeah. to know. Do you try and analyze where the bags are? I mean, is there a Coca-Cola? I mean, I keep using Coca-Cola because we, whatever, we're not friends. Yeah, no, that's okay. But is there any research being done on, on that place that you're taking out, that jar? Do you analyze that and send it away to someone to look at? If someone comes to me and says, I want to find out where this plastic is from, please, I urge you to please come to me. Because that'll tell an interesting story. Even just visually, you know, you could get one little clue. Brad, there you go. Give it a give it a stab. Yeah, go out to your, go out to your network. Come and get my plastic bags. I have that much plastic from turtles at ASR. We keep everything. 
<laughs> well, I, I remember there was a wall of shame at the ASR, and uh, I, it was staggered. I was it was really gruesome. There's yeah. a there's a YouTube video of Jeremy and myself wandering around ASR and getting uh, showed around by Kath. We look at this wall of shame and what you guys have pulled out of turtles and seabirds, and it's just horrendous. And obviously, we focus a lot of the discussions and on sea turtles and. But yeah, I remember Kathy uh, Townsend was telling us how just sea turtles just love eating plastic bags. It's just like they look like jellyfish. They haven't got a regurgitation ability and they just love eating and, you know, jellyfish and they think plastic bags are just jellyfish and obviously they're not and they just get accumulated in their stomach and it doesn't take much to do some damage basically. It doesn't. It only takes one bit of plastic bag and that could be impacting them severely and they've got such a long digestive system, like similar to our digestive system in a way, like it's very long and so it's a long digestion process sometimes and, you know, it's not just the plastic bags. Uh, One of the big things going around with sea turtle research at the moment is microplastics our hatchlings are coming in now with microplastics in their gut, like 90% wow. of them. And, and what, do you know what sort of microplastics wow. are? Is it clothing fibers? Is- I would imagine it would be coming from just like your everyday containers, like your sauce bottles, your takeaway containers and like, you know, plastic cutlery that's broken down over years and becomes right. smaller. So, you know, we all know that every single bit of plastic that has ever existed still exists. But where is it? It's just smaller. That's it. And whilst that is gruesome, and obviously you see the gruesome end result day in, day out, but it is a positive new story in that it's actually a problem we can actually readily solve. Like it's the single-use plastics, whether they're in their full form or they're broken up bits of single-use plastics. The evidence is overwhelming. It's it's if we can just get those single-use plastics out of our day-to-day lives, this problem in many ways, at least in part, goes away. Yeah, and, you know, there are steps forward and there are methods in place. The New South Wales government, for instance, just released their plastic plan the next 10 10 years or something like 20 years. And, however, I have a problem with it. (laughs) It doesn't include balloons. Yes. Wow. There's no mention of the release of helium balloons in New South Wales and where they're up to with that and mitigating that. And that is a huge problem. And when I wrote to the minister, it was kind of, look, he's really good here. And I, I think these steps are only in place because of, you know, these kind of things. But problem being is the response I kind of got from people was that because balloons only make up a small amount of the plastic debris out in the ocean, that shouldn't be a target. I'm like, yes, but I see more balloons in animals than what I see cigarette butts. And just because there's yeah. more doesn't mean it's less significant. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Just because, yeah, just because it's a lower load into the ocean doesn't mean that load isn't causing way more impact. It's a higher intake for the turtles. Yeah. And obviously, right. yeah, balloons that are, you know, balloons, uh, they look like little squids. They float yep. on the surface. And so yep. they're for ripe for the picking for uh, sea turtles. But I remember one of our previous podcast guests who is Morgan Gilmore. Morgan. She did a collaboration with Jennifer Lavers out of a drift lab. And they did a, this study to demonstrate unequivocally that basically balloons don't break down. Ever. I'm not sure if you've heard this story, but oh, it's it awesome. from a study. Yeah. I think it was from a study from the 70s. Funded by? The American <laughs> Balloon Association. No conflicts of interest, clearly. <laughs> and their finding was, and I remember it, they believe balloons 
break down in a matter of a few weeks and in their words like oak leaves. Oak leaves. And obviously, you know, individuals like yourself and others have gone, <laughs> you know what, that can't be right. And I'd suggest the American Balloon Association knows that isn't right because they must have balloons lying around and they don't break down. Morgan Gilmore and Jennifer Lavers put basically balloons in various environments, uh, compost heats, salt water, fresh water, exposed to sunlight, and long story short, they basically don't break down at all. They more or less maintain their form and structural strength for many, 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 many months, and which is consistent clearly with what you see day in, day out. So whilst, again, whilst uh, balloons might not be a massive load into the ocean, gee whiz, they do some damage. They do some damage and we see it on everything. It's not just sea turtles. We see balloons impacting our seabirds predominantly a lot actually because of the colour of them as well. Seabirds are really attracted to orange for some reason. Don't know why. And (laughs) (laughs) that's a a subject for a a bird nerd out there somewhere. (laughs) They're also starting to impact our sea snakes and it's too alarming now, and it's not just the balloon; it's the string. It's every, it's every, that little plastic clip on the balloons. Now, it can be such a touchy subject. I understand because pe- that's the way people celebrate life. However, the balloon is just simply not going to reach your loved one, but it is going to reach something that we love, and that are, then that's our animals, and we work day in, day out. <laughs> Honey, I don't sleep, <laughs> so. We just want to make a world a little bit better for these guys out there. And we start by getting this message out there. And if the government's not going to do it for us, it's up to us. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.